Good morning, church. Today we'll be reading from Habakkuk, uh, chapter one to chapter two, verses one. Um, before we pray, uh, before we read, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, please open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, that uh, uh, the, that um, as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their god. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Alice, for reading. Morning, everyone. It's great to see you. My name's Victor, if we haven't met, and it's great to be here sharing God's word with you this morning. Um, Happy New Year, by the way. It's the first Sunday back for 2024. And New Year's... It's an interesting time, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a kind of very natural time where we do reflection. Like, I know people have a sort of love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions and things like that, but you can't help and, but think, what am I saying goodbye to? What am I saying farewell to in 2023? 
And I wonder what that's been like for you. Like what images, what words, um, what feelings pop up when you think of how your 2023 has been. I'm sure, um, and I know, looking at some faces, some, some great things have happened in people's lives, some really happy occasions and joyful things, um, but also some sad things, some confronting, some struggles have been experienced in 2023. I wonder what your 2023 um, has been like. And is it what you predicted? Is it what you expected? Were there any surprises? Um, this year for me, well, the last year, um, was actually surprisingly um, hard. It was the hardest year of ministry I've had on campus. It wasn't what I expected. It was quite surprising because I was expecting a pretty um, encouraging and, and, and straightforward and, and easy year of ministry on campus. I've been there a couple of years. I know the students coming in. But there were some really mm, difficult, really complex um, and quite traumatic situations um, that some of the student leaders had gone through this year. And as I tried to help them work through that, it was quite taxing. It was very taxing on them and quite taxing to some extent on me. And that was really, really surprising. And that's what I've been reflecting on. I wonder what your 2023 has been surprising. And it got me thinking about the theme actually of this book, Habakkuk, that we'll be studying together over the next two weeks, the surprising sovereignty of God, the surprising sovereignty of God, that God is in control, but he does things that surprise us, not what we expect. And so my prayer and my, my desire is that as we look in Habakkuk this morning and next week, that we will have our view of God expanded enlarged and made bigger so that we can trust God more, so that we can trust our big, sovereign, surprisingly sovereign God more. That's my aim and prayer. And God's people, Israel, were also used to experiencing the surprising sovereignty of God. They had gone from a small nomadic people group to a proper nation and kingdom. But currently, in Habakkuk's time, as you, as you heard the reading, they were in a terrible time of their history. A terrible time. Gone were the glory days of King David and King Solomon. At this point, the kingdom had split into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and Assyria, one of the superpowers, had conquered Assyria. Uh, Assyria had conquered Israel at this point, and so Judah are wondering, are we next? Are we next? All this had happened because of their sin and idolatry. They had consistently turned away from their good God to be like the other nations, to be like other people around them. And so God had allowed his judgment to fall on them in two sort of ways. The first way, he just allowed them to sin. He allowed them to keep sinning. And didn't we hear about all the terrible injustice that was as a result of allowing them to sin? Allowing them to sin. 
injustice in society, judgment one. And judgment two, God bringing, allowing Assyria to conquer and take Israel into exile. And so God's people in Judah should be learning. They should be learning what happens to people who rebel against their God, right? Their Israelite brothers and sisters being destroyed by Assyria should have been a loud and clear warning to them. But they did not learn. They were not listening. And so enter Habakkuk, the prophet. Habakkuk. Habakkuk is crying out to God. He's seeing all the injustice and violence around him in his people, and he's crying out to God for justice and action. But how God responds is not at all how he expected. It's not at all how he expected. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next two weeks in Habakkuk. And this, this book, I don't know if you read it, it's quite a small book, um, not as well known. It's, um, it's structured um, like so. There's two rounds of complaint and response, complaint and response. So Habakkuk complains, God responds, complaint and response, and then finishes in chapter 3 with a prayer. And so today we'll journey through Habakkuk in his two complaints and God responses, and then next Sunday we'll finish with his prayer. We kick off with our first point for this morning. God's judgment is unbelievable. God's judgment is unbelievable. Round one, Habakkuk's first complaint, verses one to four. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Did you feel that emotion in his cries? How long, O Lord? Why? Why? Habakkuk is crying out to God, asking why he's doing nothing about the violence and injustice he's seeing around him. And there's a real graphic picture of Judah's society and life at the time, isn't there? Injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, violence, strife, conflict. And therefore the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. Justice is perverted. That sounds terrible. I remember traveling to Africa years ago um, and I remember telling my friends I was visiting this particular city and I remember, I'll, I'll never forget it, friends who had been to that city or who'd heard about it warned me, if you, go, if you go around in that city, if you're in a car, if you come to a red light, don't stop. And I'm thinking, well, how does that work? Red light means stop. 
you need to stop. That's how traffic works. They said, no, don't stop. Keep the car rolling slowly during the red light. And then when the green light turns, you then rush off. Why? Because if you stop, then you are risking yourself of being vulnerable to a carjacking. Can you believe that? A city where you can't even stop at a red light at risk to yourself and your family's safety, a carjacking. Isn't that terrible? I, I don't know if that city's still like that, but there are places like that, aren't there, in the world? Maybe you visited a place like that. And that's the image that I get when I think of what life is like now for Habakkuk amongst God's people. It's terrible, it's scary, and it's unsafe. So what is God's response to Habakkuk's first complaint? What is God's response? And this is the big punch, the big impact of the book, I think, the big thing that I want us to take away. You see, God has an unbelievable and surprising solution, right? Be utterly amazed, he says in verse 5. Will he send a righteous judge, raise up a righteous person to deal out justice like he did in the time of judges? Or will he send a bunch of plagues, use nature to sort out the injustice like he's done before the Exodus? This is his solution. This is his response to Habakkuk. Verse 6 to 7. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. The Babylonians. Unbelievable. God is going to use the next superpower, the mighty Babylon, to judge his evil people. Talk about fighting fire with fire. Fight violence with more violence. Did you see how God describes them in those verses we just read? That ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth, feared and dreaded, a law to themselves. The Babylonians. And then in ver- later in verse, verses 8 to 11, after that, God paints a graphic picture from nature of this frightening and brutal regime. Swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves, like an eagle swooping to devour, gathering prisoners like sand, sweeping past like the wind. Unbelievable. God is going to use the brutal Babylonian empire to judge his people. Fight fire with fire. Habakkuk was not expecting that. God's judgment is unbelievable, surprising, unexpected. I wonder how you would feel if you were... Habakkuk. What do you think when you hear that God uses evil instruments to fulfill his purposes? What do you think 
when you hear that God uses evil instruments to fulfill his purposes. We all want evil to be stopped. We all want justice to be done. And we might even have an idea of how to do it. But God is God. He has his plans. He has his ways. And they may well not be our plans or our ways. Will we let God be God? And closer to home, you know, what if he had, he has his own plan for how your life has panned out, for how your 2023 worked out? Right? Was there, when I got you to think about 2023, was there this, a particular memory or particular event that happened that's really traumatic or makes you feel with pain? How does it make you feel to know that God allowed that? Or a resolution of something in 2023, something that has, was ongoing that resolved itself in 2023, but it wasn't how you expected. In fact, it wasn't how you wanted. How do you feel about that, that God allowed that? How do you feel that God has his plans And they might not be your plans for you. God cannot be controlled. God will not be told what to do. God is God. He can and does do what he wants. So are you okay with letting God be God? Are you okay with letting God be God? God's judgment is unbelievable. These questions that are in our minds, Habakkuk is thinking about these questions as well. He faces the same conundrum. And so that brings us to our second point for this morning. God's judgment is universal. God's judgment is universal. Round two, Habakkuk's second complaint. Let's read verses 12 to 13. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk is confused and in disbelief. How can God be like that? How can God use Babylon? How can God use something like Babylon? And do you see that Habakkuk appeals to God's character? his holiness and righteousness, right? My God, my Holy One, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing, right? The issue, Babylon is 
way more evil and brutal and wicked than Judah. And Babylon doesn't even have a relationship with God. And yet God is still going to use them. And then God goes on uh, to talk about preparing Babylon for their role. Preparing Babylon for their role. An imagery of a fisherman, a successful fisherman, hauling in nets and nets of fish. That's all empires and people are. Just fish to be hauled up and devoured by Babylon. How can God prepare and use evil Babylon like that? Isn't God meant to be good? How can he use something so evil for his purposes? And so after his complaint, the second one, Habakkuk waits. After all this heartfelt and emotional questioning to God, Habakkuk waits for God's response in 2 verse 1, the final verse that Alice read. Habakkuk waits. How will God respond? God does respond. And his response is that after using Babylon as his judgment instrument, his judgment will then fall on Babylon. God's judgment will then turn to fall on Babylon. His judgment is inescapable and universal. God sees Babylon's evil. He hasn't missed it. He hasn't overlooked it. He sees Babylon's insatiable evil and arrogance. Right? Have a look at 2 verses 4 to 5. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Right? God is not blind. He doesn't need Habakkuk to tell him what Babylon is like. God sees Babylon's insatiable arrogance and ambition for evil. And then for the rest of chapter 2, God pronounces judgment on Babylon in the form of woes. W-O-E-S, woes. Five woes. Woes to Babylon. You can see the woes if you've got your Bible. It's a bit small, but I've highlighted... Oh, the formatting hasn't worked out well. I had a second column there. But you can see the woes... In the chapter, in verses 6, 9, 12, 15, and 19. Five woes. These woes are like funeral dirges, right? Songs of lament, sad songs you sing when someone has died. And God is singing these songs about Babylon. He's singing them over Babylon, mocking Babylon. And we'll... we'll we won't go into a detail into it, but we'll pause to look at some of the key lyrics. So the first woe, verses 6 to 8. 
Have a look at verse 8. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. You see, Babylon, the plunderer, will be plundered himself. The predator becomes the prey. Second woe, verses 9 to 11. Babylon, the plotter of his empire and dynasty, he will come to ruin. He will come to nothing. The third woe. Have a look at verse, uh, the next slide, verses 12 to 13. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Babylon, the violent, he will come to nothing. He will come to nothing. The fourth woe, verses 15 to 17. Babylon, the depraved pervert, he will fall in shame and disgrace. And in those verses, if, you, if you've got your Bible, you can skim. There's a disgusting picture of Babylon getting people drunk and then stripping them and looking at their naked bodies. It's disgusting. Babylon, the pervert, will fall in shame and disgrace. And the fifth and final woe, verses 18 to 19. This one's really interesting. God takes aim at their useless idols and false religion. Babylon, the idolater, prays only to a piece of wood, a lifeless stone. Woe to Babylon, woe to Babylon, woe to him, woe to him, woe to him. Babylon is dead. Arrogant, ambitious, evil Babylon will eventually fall to God's judgment. God will put an end to the violence, to the destruction, to the injustice, to the shaming, and to the bloodshed. God's universal judgment will fall on Babylon, and that eventually came in the kingdom of Persia. And so the only right response, the only right response from everyone, from the whole world, is verse 20, isn't it? The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Be silent before God. God the judge is in his temple on his throne. God's judgment is universal. A few years ago, I was traveling in Berlin with a few people in this room. Um, and one of the things that we did was a cycling tour, which, by the way, highly recommend in Europe. It's great for cycling. You can see the city, experience the city. Um, and we did a cycling tour around Berlin. And it was fantastic. The tour guide was excellent and informative. And we saw lots of really beautiful sites, beautiful buildings, magnificent architecture, really interesting history. And then at one point, I can't even remember when it was, maybe near the end, we stopped at a car park of an apartment block. And we stopped there. And I thought, okay, this is 
pretty random. There's nothing special about this place. Maybe it's a drink stop. Maybe it's a toilet stop. But the tour guide waited for everyone to arrive, for all the bikes to arrive before she started. And I'll never forget it. She said, just over there behind me, next to that gray car, was where the bunker where Hitler committed suicide. This random car park was where Hitler committed suicide. And I mean, you can imagine why this car park is just this random, trying to be forgotten place, because, you know, Germany is not proud of that. But that just hit home to me that death comes for all, and God's judgment really does come for all, right? No matter what you do and who you are, you still end up the same, right? All the terrible things that Adolf Hitler allowed and determined and made decisions about, and here he was, the place where he became food for worms. And who knows what horrors he faced when he met his maker that day when he committed suicide. Who knows what horrors he faced in judgment. God's judgment is universal. It's inescapable. And there's something satisfying and comforting about that, we have to admit, right? We think about Adolf Hitler, we think about the injustice in the world, we think about some of the terrible things that are happening that that we're reading and hearing about in Gaza, in Ukraine, in other places. But even in our own lives, the injustices, the terrible things that we experience, God sees it all. God sees it all, and God will do something about it. All evil will be brought to account. God's judgment will fall on everyone. No one can escape it. No one. And that's great news for the evil we see in this world, in our lives. But do you see the bad news for us here as well. Do you see the bad news, the scary news for us as well? Because it means that we, it means that you and I are also subject to God's judgment. All right? You you might be able to point at evil all around you, at the evil done to you and your loved ones, but someone is pointing at you. Someone else is pointing at you. We are also doers of evil, you and definitely I. We may not be leaders of empires or regimes, but we do commit violence, don't we, to people around us, even to people we love. Some might inflict it physically, but we also inflict it with our words. We tear people down with our discouragements. We destroy people's reputations with our gossip. Or we inflict violence with our actions by what we do and by also what we neglect to do. We are subject to God's judgment. God's judgment will fall on everyone. No one can escape it. 
not you, not me. God can use anything to achieve his plan. He can even use evil instruments to achieve his good plans. He used evil Babylon to judge his people's evil, and then he ultimately judges Babylon's evil as well. God can use evil instruments to achieve his good plans. This is what God does. This is our God. And amazingly, amazingly, he does the same thing hundreds of years later with another brutal act of injustice, the execution of his son, Jesus Christ. That brings us to our third and final point. God's rescue through judgment is perfectly planned. God's rescue is perfectly planned. See, God had sent his son Jesus to the earth to be light in our dark world, to bring his kingdom to our evil world. But how was Jesus received? What did people do to him? They sentenced him to death in an unjust trial. They butchered him on a cross. How could God allow such violence on his son? How could such injustice to his son be part of God's plan? Let's read Acts 2, when the Apostle Peter is speaking to a crowd of Jews in Jerusalem after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Have a look at verse 22, 23. It's astonishing. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And listen carefully. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Isn't verse 23 astounding? Right? Read it slowly. You put him to death by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Jesus' unjust death, God foreknew. God already knew. What's more, it was his deliberate plan. God purposely planned it. Through the injustice of humans, God perfectly planned out the crucifixion. Can you believe it? God perfectly planned that. But why? God's Old Testament people, the Jews, deserved to be judged for their evil and injustice. So did Babylon for their evil and brutality. But Jesus did not deserve to be judged by God. God's perfect son. Why did Jesus experience the judgment of God? Because he was on a rescue mission. He was on a rescue mission. He was rescuing us. Rescuing you. Rescuing me. Rescuing we who will come to Jesus. We are the ones who deserve to face God's judgment. You, me, all of us for the evil we have done, for the good we have not done, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. 
But amazingly, God, who is powerful and supreme, used the injustice of humans to plan and work out his plan of judgment and rescue. At the cross, God was pouring out his judgment that we deserved on his son. And in doing so, those who come to Jesus and shelter in his death, we can escape and be rescued from God's judgment. God's rescue through judgment is perfectly planned, even using the injustice of humans. Isn't that amazing? God planned it. And so if you haven't yet already come to Jesus, come to Jesus and shelter in his death for your sins so you don't have to face the judgment that we all deserve. Come to him who died the death that you, we all should die and then have new life because of his resurrection. Come to Jesus knowing the horrors that lie ahead if you carry your own sin and rebellion to God, the disobedience to him and the harm you've done to others, why would you not come to Jesus? That is how God has decided and chosen to save us, to rescue us. So come to him. Come to him without further delay. And lastly, This picture of God, this God that we've gotten to know better, this is a God we can trust, right? This is a God we can deeply trust. If he is in perfect control of everything, even the harmful, unjust, terrible things, evil things, that's someone I want to trust and hold on to. And that's someone you can trust. And so I wonder how you process the hard things, the trauma, the difficult things of your 2023 or the past in your life, things you're still processing. Processing the fact that God allowed that. You can trust God, can't you? Looking at this picture of God, he uses even evil instruments to achieve his good plans. He has used, is using, and will use evil, harmful, traumatic, difficult, painful things in our lives for his good purposes for us and for others. We can trust God with our past and we can trust God with our future, right? We can trust God with the uncertain future. Who knows what 2024 holds for us? I'm sure there are going to be people in this room who experience really surprising, difficult things this year but we can trust God because God can and does use evil, even evil things to achieve his good purposes. His good, his good purposes, though, not ours. His good purposes. And so we can trust him with the future as well. Yeah? We can trust him with the past, trust him with our future. The surprising sovereignty of God. I'm going to pray that for us. Dear God, we thank you that this is the God you are. You are powerful, majestic, and supreme, and you do what you want, and you achieve it however you want, using everything, in control of everything, even evil, painful things. And so 
We trust you, Father, and we pray that we'll continue to trust you. And we thank you that you've done that supremely in your Son, who you intentionally, purposely, deliberately put to death on the cross so that we could be rescued from that judgment that faces everyone and be your children living with you day to day entrusting you with the future. We pray that we will continue to grow our trust and it will deepen and flourish as a result of knowing you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.